Hey, it's Jamie, and I wanted to welcome you to a free sample of a previous episode from the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast. This can be found at patreon.com, which gives you access to bonus audio content like this. The Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast is where I review the good, the bad, and the ugly of 1980s movies. And if you're a member of Patreon, keep your eyes peeled for a brand new episode coming very soon. I'll talk more about Patreon at the end of the show, but for right now, enjoy this look back at one of my favorite movies of all time. The Everything 80s Movie Club presents Michael J. Fox, Leah Thompson, Christopher Lloyd, and Thomas F. Wilson in Back to the Future Part 2. Welcome to the Patreon-only Everything 80s Movie Club. This is just for members of the Boba Fett level and above. And today, we look back at one of the most anticipated sequels in movie history, Back to the Future Part 2. In this episode, we will do a plot recap and then look at everything that went into making this movie, including some great behind-the-scenes stuff. Here we go. At the end of the first Back to the Future, Marty has successfully made his way back to 1985 from 1955, but he arrives to find an entirely different world where he and his family have found a better life. As he admires the new truck that he had dreamed about, his girlfriend Jennifer shows up. But as they're about to take the new truck for a spin, Doc Brown crashes into the driveway in the DeLorean. Doc is frantic and appears to be wearing futuristic-looking clothes, but he warns Marty and Jennifer that he's been to the future and something needs to be done about their kids. The DeLorean now has a new contraption attached to it called Mr. Fusion, and Doc fills it up with garbage, which seemingly looks to serve as a fuel source. As the three of them begin to drive off, Marty remarks how they don't have enough road to get up to 88 miles per hour, which is the speed to travel through time. We realize they don't need roads as the DeLorean levitates off the ground, able to fly. This scene is recreated at the start of Back to the Future 2, but with one key difference. As the trio takes off, Biff Tannen comes from out of the McFly house to see the DeLorean flying. A critical moment to be revisited later in this movie. Doc, Marty, and Jennifer then find themselves flying into Hill Valley in the year 2015. Jennifer has seen too much and is asking too many questions, so Doc knocks her out with an alpha rhythm generator. Flying through the other traffic, they land in downtown Hill Valley. Marty finds out that his son will end up getting arrested if he doesn't intervene. Doc dresses Marty up in some futuristic-looking clothes, including some self-lacing Nike shoes. Marty has to meet Griff Tannen at the Cafe 80s to tell him he is not going along with Griff's plan. At the Cafe 80s, Marty meets Griff only before almost running into his son, Marty Jr. A fight breaks out between 1985 Marty and Griff and they battle outside, resulting in a hoverboard chase through downtown Hill Valley, which mirrors the skateboard chase from 1955 in the first Back to the Future. 
When all the dust is settled, Marty has saved the day and everything seems to be restored to normal. But Marty from 1985 stumbles upon an antique store where he sees a sports almanac. He gets the idea that when they go back to 1985, he can make some guaranteed bets. But old Biff Tannen has shown up and sees Doc in the flying DeLorean. And it strikes him that he hasn't seen one in 30 years. He then sees both Marty Jr. and Marty realizing something nefarious is going on here. And he eventually realizes that Doc Brown has created a time machine. And also, he hears about Marty's plan about going back in time to make use of the sports almanac. While this has all been going on, police have stumbled upon an unconscious Jennifer, and they take her back to her home in 2015. Marty and Doc race to find Jennifer, and we see that Marty in 2015 is really down on his luck and had apparently gotten into a car accident 30 years prior. Marty is contacted by Needles, played by Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and then gets fired for participating in Needles' plan. Jennifer runs into her future self and goes into shock before Doc rescues her. But while this is going on, Biff has stolen the time machine. And when it reappears, he emerges from it in considerable pain. Marty and Doc head back to 1985 and bring Jennifer to her house, leaving her on the front porch. Marty points out that he doesn't remember seeing bars on the windows of the Parker home. Doc drops off Marty, and Marty has to break into his own home, only to find there's another family living there. He has to make a run for it and makes his way to downtown Hill Valley, which has turned into some sort of a hellscape. Marty discovers that Biff is now the wealthiest and most powerful person in the country. Not only is Biff rich and powerful, but he's married to Marty's mother, Lorraine. Marty also makes the horrifying discovery that his father, George McFly, is dead. He has been murdered. Marty and Doc regroup and discover that Biff had stolen the time machine and taken the almanac back to 1955 to give to his younger self. That's why he became so rich. The timeline has skewed, and they need to reset it, which means going back to 1955 and intercepting old Biff from giving the almanac to young Biff. But... Old Biff has to think he successfully made the transfer. This takes him back to the scenes of the first movie where Marty witnesses Old Biff and Young Biff during the book handoff. Marty makes his way to the Enchantment Under the Sea dance and goes through several ordeals trying to steal the almanac. He watches his other self at the dance and eventually gets the almanac back during a high-speed chase involving Biff, the hoverboard from 2015, and the DeLorean. Biff crashes into a manure truck, and as Doc and Marty prepare to go back to 1955, the DeLorean is struck by lightning and disappears. As Marty stands in the rain, perplexed at what has just happened, an employee from Western Union shows up with a letter for Marty, and it's 70 years old. It's from the Doc, who had been transported to the Old West. Marty, knowing there's only one person that can help him, races back to downtown Hill Valley and the moment where his other self is sent back to 1985. He races up to Doc, who passes out when he sees Marty just moments after he sent him back to the future. 
So as we look into the making of Back to the Future Part 2, as soon as this movie begins, there is the obvious realization that we aren't seeing the same Jennifer as at the end of Back to the Future. The original Jennifer Parker was played by Claudia Wells, who was unable to film the sequel because of some family issues. Actress Elizabeth Shue was brought in to play the role for the rest of the trilogy. Side note, Claudia Wells wasn't actually even the first Jennifer. Before Michael J. Fox was able to come in and film, the original Marty McFly was played by actor Eric Stoltz, until it was decided that he just wasn't right in the role of Marty. To play alongside Stoltz in the role of Jennifer was Melora Hardin, aka Jan Levinson Gould from The Office. Wait, no Gould, just Jan Levinson. But when Michael J. Fox was brought in, it was decided that Hardin was too tall to play alongside him, and that brought in Claudia Wells. You may have also noticed that except for one scene where he's upside down, we don't really see George McFly in this movie. Or if we do, it's more from a distance. This is because the producers and actor Crispin Glover, who played George, couldn't come to an agreement over a contract. When the decision was made not to recast Glover, they found ways to include the character of George and also worked around not having the original actor. The scene where George is upside down was a way to disguise that this was summer and different. It was Jeffrey Weissman playing that role. Not only is he upside down, but because of the age that George would be in the future, they were able to use heavy makeup and prosthetics to further hide that it was someone else. In the new alternate 1985, George was simply written out as being dead. As far as the scenes from 1955, they simply just used old footage of Crisp and Glover from the first movie. That's two changes, but the other core actors, Leah Thompson as Lorraine, Michael J. Fox as Marty, Christopher Lloyd as Doc Brown, and Tom Wilson as Biff Tannen were all back. But this time, they were playing multiple roles, or alternative versions of themselves, which required a ton of makeup. Michael J. Fox plays regular Marty, Marty Jr., his daughter Marlene, and Marty Sr., the latter, which required four to five hours of makeup. Elizabeth Shue plays regular Jennifer and 2015 Jennifer. Leah Thompson plays young Lorraine from 1955, Grandma Lorraine Baines from 2015, and um, Enhanced Lorraine in the alternate 1985. Tom Wilson plays young Biff from 1955, older Biff from 1985 at the beginning of the movie, Elderly Biff from 2015, Young Griff from 2015, and Alternative Rich Biff from 1985. And this is pretty amazing. By the end of the Back to the Future trilogy, Tom Wilson played seven iterations of Biff. There is the bully version of Biff from 1985 at the beginning of the first movie, Young 1955 Biff, Bumbling Mechanic Biff in the new 1985, and the end of the first film and beginning of Back to the Future 2, Elderly Biff from 2015, Griff Tannen, Rich and Powerful Biff from the Alternative 1985, and Buford Mad Dog Tannen from 1885. This really shows the incredible, impressive acting ability of Tom Wilson. Directed by Robert Zemeckis and executive produced by Steven Spielberg, 
Filming for Back to the Future 2 began in February 1989. The interesting thing about Back to the Future was there was never a plan for a sequel. It was left on a cliffhanger moment, but it was meant as a one-off movie. There was no guarantee that Back to the Future 2 would be a success. A lot of people passed on it because they just didn't see it working. The producers were worried they wouldn't even make their money back. The to-be-continued that you probably remember at the end of the first Back to the Future was added in later to the VHS release and didn't appear in the original theatrical release. But because of the remarkable success of the first movie, a sequel was inevitable. However, this presented a very big problem. Everything 80s will return after these messages. Robert Zemeckis has stated that if they knew they were making a sequel, he never would have put Jennifer in the car at the end of the first movie. Now they had a writing nightmare on their hands of how to incorporate Jennifer into the sequel instead of it just being about Marty and Doc on any adventure they could dream up. Screenwriter Bob Gale says that one early version of the movie was based around Biff ending up with a sports almanac in 1967. In that version, George McFly would be a college professor and Lorraine would be a hippie flower child. But now, with a bigger budget, they could expand the scope of the movie, along with more special effects, which had grown by leaps and bounds by 1989. Back to the Future 2 used more technology now, including a big advancement by Industrial Light and Magic. They created a motion control camera system called Vistaglide. Now, the creators of the movie had the ability to see the same actor appear in two or more different roles in the same shot, whether that was young Biff and old Biff, or Marty Jr., Marty Sr., and Marlene McFly. With this new technology, instead of it being a static shot where you know it's the same actor with a dividing line down the middle of the frame, the camera could move around in the scene, making everything look more natural. Back to the Future 2 was released in November 1989, and I was there opening day. Though it didn't hit the box office returns of the first, it was still a huge hit, bringing in over $330 million. Adjusted for inflation, that's over $800 million. And the thing is, it wasn't even close to that year's highest grossing film, as it was going up against some of the biggest movies of all time including Batman, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Lethal Weapon 2, Dead Poets Society, Ghostbusters 2, Look Who's Talking, Field of Dreams, The Little Mermaid, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and When Harry Met Sally. 1989, a truly incredible year for movies. So let's switch into some of the behind-the-scenes facts of Back to the Future Part 2. There are a ton of interesting things in this movie, some you may be aware of, some that are not so obvious. One quick little reference is right earlier on when Marty sees Jaws 19 playing at the theater in 2015. The director is credited as Max Spielberg, the son of Steven Spielberg. The Jaws 19 joke was 
Also a little bit of an inside joke and poking fun at the industry that they were all a part of, which was now quicker to produce sequels and trilogies and even more so. One of the coolest things that we saw in 2015 was a toy or a product we could only ever dream of. Apparently, in the future, we would have hoverboards, something that a kid like me who loves skateboarding had their mind blown over. But did they actually exist? In a documentary television special about the making of Back to the Future 2, Robert Zemeckis talks about the technology used in hoverboards. They work with the magnetic energy from the Earth to hover above the ground. He then states that they are actually real, and the technology has been around for years. The problem is, parent groups had apparently prevented toy manufacturers from making them, knowing how dangerous these things might be. Wait a minute, I watched this special. These were actually real? I was freaking out myself. A lot of kids who watched this special also believe what they were hearing. Parents were calling in everywhere, seeing if these were possible to buy. But of course, to our chagrin, it was just Robert Zemeckis messing around. Speaking of the hoverboard scene, a pretty alarming accident took place that could have actually been really catastrophic. The chase scene through downtown Hill Valley ends up with Griff's gang crashing through the windows of the futuristic clock tower. The stunt doubles were supported with wires attached to a crane. There was a lot of practicing and coordination of this stunt with many things being changed and altered. The plan is, as they crash through the darkly tinted, sugar-coated candy glass, the wires would be released, allowing the stunt doubles to fall into airbags or crash pads below. When it came time to film the scene, as they were being swung toward the clock tower, stunt performer Cheryl Wheeler is swung off course and accidentally slams into one of the pillars. As they are being released, Wheeler falls some 30 feet onto the concrete, missing the safe landing spot and landing face down. Everything had gone terribly wrong. The crazy thing is, this horrifying moment is actually in the movie. If you watch closely, you'll see her hit the pillar, and even though it's a quick shot, you can see her landing face down on the concrete on the other side of the glass. Another great scene full of some interesting facts is the Cafe 80s. And this is a great set because it creates a perfect snapshot of the 1980s aesthetic characterized by the Memphis design which is the distinctive style made up of mismatched shapes and bright contrasting colors. In that scene, Marty sees two kids playing wild gunmen, which will foreshadow the events of Back to the Future 3. From a 1980s video game perspective, Wild Gunman is the game that helped give rise to the Nintendo light gun and Duck Hunt. And one of the kids playing that game is Frodo Baggins himself, Elijah Wood. And no, that isn't Michael Jackson in the cafe 80s, but Michael Jackson impersonator named E. Casanova Evans. Basically the best name ever. Michael Jackson was reportedly a big fan of the original Back to the Future. And not only is he portrayed in Back to the Future 2 along with his song Beat It, but we will see Marty moonwalking and singing Billie Jean in Back to the Future 3. And... Speaking of Back to the Future 3, if you saw Back to the Future 2 in theaters, you probably remember 
something we really hadn't seen before. A full trailer for Back to the Future 3. And the release date had it coming out only six months later. How is this possible? Well, it's because both Back to the Future 2 and 3 were filmed pretty much back to back like it was one giant film. And there was enough footage of Back to the Future 3 that they could include it at the end of number 2 to get people hyped for the final installment of the trilogy. This was pretty groundbreaking because back in the 80s, sequels took years and years to come out. It had been four years since the first Back to the Future before we got the sequel. And now we had another movie to look forward to in just six months. One of my favorite things about Back to the Future 2 is about how much the time travel crosses over and the discussions about what could or couldn't be possible. And it's part of the behind the scenes facts of Back to the Future 2 in that there are different ways to look at time travel and they present it in their own way. Back to the Future seems to exist on a single timeline that can be changed. It's why in the first film, Twin Pines Mall changes to Lone Pine Mall at the end as Marty ran over one of the two pine trees on Peabody's farm when he first goes back to 1955. But this single timeline thing presents a problem. When Biff returns the DeLorean back to 2015, this technically should be an alternative 2015 that continues on from the alternate 1985 that Doc and Marty go back to where Biff has taken over. In the alternate 1985, Doc and Marty can't go back to 2015 and stop Biff from stealing the Almanac and DeLorean as it would be an alternate to that point in time where Biff has taken over. But old Biff has somehow been able to return to an unaltered timeline. But is this because young Biff in 1955 hasn't placed his first bet and begun the process of changing his life and ultimately the future? These are the questions that can make your head hurt. But then there is the phenomenon of the multiples that exist in 1955. We know that when they return to 1955 and Back to the Future 2, there are two Doc Browns there, two Martys, and for a short while, two Biff Tannins. All in 1955, all at the same time. But my favorite fact regarding the multiples phenomenon in Back to the Future 2 is that for about five hours in 1955, in the timeline of the movie, there are four different versions of the DeLorean present. There is the original DeLorean that the first Marty from 1985 has taken back being stored in Doc's lab. Next is the DeLorean that Old Biff from 2015 steals and takes back to 1955. Next is the DeLorean that Doc and Marty take to 2015, then back to 1955. That's the one that gets struck by lightning. But before that happens, there is also the DeLorean buried in the abandoned mine from 1885 that has been sitting there for nearly 70 years. Four different DeLoreans, all existing at the same time and in the same location. But if we're thinking about the timeline in that way, it means that in the second trip to 1955 and Back to the Future 2, there are technically three Doc Browns there all at the same time. The Doc Brown from 1955, the Doc Brown from the future in the flying DeLorean about to get hit by lightning, and Doc Brown from 1885, dead and buried in Boot Hill Cemetery, laid to rest 
by his beloved Clara. And one of the most fun parts about a time travel movie are the predictions about the future. As usual, it's always about flying cars. We're now about eight years on from 2015 and not a flying car in sight. Self-lacing shoes have been prototyped, but I don't see them on the shelves of Nike stores quite yet. There's a lot of robotic technology in Back to the Future 2, which is more realistic today. But the movie missed out on things like AI, cell phones, and even the internet. In Back to the Future 2, all houses in the future have fax machines, even though most kids today probably don't know what a fax machine even is. The characters in Back to the Future 2 did have viewing goggles, which don't look too far off of our VR headsets today. 3D movies as depicted by Jaws 19 obviously became much more common, but I'm not able to order a Black & Decker rehydrator on Amazon. Back to the Future 2 did nail video conferencing calls. While we watch Marty talk to Needles on his AT&T video screen, it looks like an early iteration of what would become Skype or Zoom. Back in 1989, predicting what the year 2015 would look like was obviously a tall order, but the producers of the movie wanted to have fun with their vision of what the future would look like. But one thing that was impossible to predict was real-life events. When Doc reads the altered USA Today newspaper in 2015, we can see an article headline talking about the president remarking how she's tired. And another headline about how Washington is preparing for a visit from Queen Diana. Back to the Future 2 really is a remarkable movie. It's both a sequel and a prequel at the same time. It let us revisit the original film that we had all come to love by jumping right back into it and letting us see it from another angle. Even though it's impossible to predict the future, Instead of a dystopian, Orwellian, dark future that is often portrayed in science fiction movies, the 2015 of Back to the Future is more bright, colorful, and fun. Time is a remarkable thing, and both Back to the Future and Back to the Future 2 explored it in new and entertaining ways. Speaking of time, in 1985, the 1955 setting that Marty returned to seems so far away. But if you were making a time travel movie today with the same time span difference as 1985 and 1955, you would have to set it in 1993. If you're listening to this episode within a year of its release, the same time difference between now and when Back to the Future 2 came out in 1989 is exactly the same as between 1989 and 1955, which is kind of terrifying to think about. I love Back to the Future 2. It still is my favorite part of the trilogy. I think I mainly loved it because it made me love and appreciate the original movie even more. The original Back to the Future is the perfect movie. For kids of the 80s, it's been referred to as our Wizard of Oz for how impactful and memorable it's become. Honestly, my love of Back to the Future is the main reason why I started this podcast in the first place. And then Back to the Future 2 acknowledged the legacy of the first movie by paying tribute to it and expanding the world we now knew and loved. Back to the Future 2 moves at a breathless pace and barely even pauses to catch its breath. 
Like The Empire Strikes Back, it ends on a cliffhanger with viewers uncertain where the story is going to end up. But in an unprecedented move, we got a sneak peek into where the story was possibly going with the trailer for Back to the Future 3. That, in just six months, would wrap up one of the greatest trilogies of all time. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this free preview of the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast over at patreon.com slash 80s. So besides this episode, I've covered dozens of 80s classics, including Big, Blade Runner, The Princess Bride, The Empire Strikes Back, Teen Wolf, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, but also some train wrecks like Maximum Overdrive and the infamous Howard the Duck movie. So if you want to check this all out or just learn more, head on over to patreon.com slash 80s. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash 80s or click on the link in the description. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Everything 80s podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss out on more episodes from the greatest decade ever. So that's it for me. I'm Jamie. This has been Everything 80s, but I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.